You're at the Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub where we enjoy conversations with people who are engaged in the world of coaching. Welcome to this week's edition of the Coaching Inn. I'm Claire Pedrick and today I'm absolutely delighted to be in the company of some great people and we're going to be thinking about coaching and poetry so let's meet our guests around the table in our virtual pub. Uh, and we'll start with you, Naomi, because this was your idea. <laughs> Tell us about you. Hi, Claire. Yes, um, I'm Naomi and I'm a coach. And I'm also reader of poems and an aspiring poet. I'm gradually putting one or two into the world wow so thanks for thanks for convening everyone to talk about this wonderful subject well it's a pleasure lisa <laughs> hello lisa hi claire and everyone listening my name is lisa di matteo and i am what i like to call today although it's always changing a self-leadership coach so i like to help folks explore themselves through the lens of their work, uh, their vital selves, and their relationship with money. Oh, wow. And poetry comes in there as an interest somewhere along the way. Oh, for sure. Yes. Um, poetry has been a great inspirator for me. And um, I'm going to read uh, or share a piece from one of my favorite poets uh, in just a bit. Okay, cool. Thank you. Ross, hello. Hello, Ross Nichols, Salisbury in England. Um, gosh, where to start? Um, yeah, I coach for a wide range of things, business, leadership, career, well-being, uh, cancer, mentor coaching for credentials. I've been in Claire's class, that's how I know Claire. Um, a, a few years back, I noticed I was starting to use poetry in my coaching spontaneously. It just felt appropriate in the moment. And then I, I even began to write it, which astonished me. And then a couple of years ago, I was having a chat with somebody, you know, a networking chat, and uh, said I had this idea that all these poets, uh, coaches, writing great poems and little stories about them. I said, wouldn't it be good if we could sort of collect those together and share it as a resource? Because I'm sure it's useful. And she said, well, what's stopping you? And I thought, nothing. So... I'm presently editing an anthology of Poetry for Coaching and we're due publication at the end of this year. Hundreds wow. of poems, 41 coaches, great stories as well as great poems, and it's it's a labour of love. It's amazing. How exciting. It Thank is. you, Ross. It is really exciting. Yeah, it's fabulous. Yeah. Bit of a round of applause here in the pub. Christina. Hello. Uh, I'm Christina. I'm uh, a coach, uh, coaching people uh, uh, through changes and taking ownership on their careers. Uh, I'm very passionate about finding rhythm in life, music, coaching. So poetry comes right across the corner on this. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And James, welcome to the Coaching Inn. Thank you very much. Um, I'm James Allport. I'm a coach uh, in uh, a company. So I'm a job plus coach in a company called the John Lewis Partnership, which if, if you're not in the UK is a big retailer. 
Uh, and that's where I do most of my coaching with little bits here and there, mostly pro bono in the church and in other places. Uh, but I also do a day job, which where I'm uh, very often in coaching mode. And uh, poetry is something that I've always come back to to help me put down the stresses and strains of the day job. But I also think it's uh, it's somewhere where you test the bounds of language. And I think there's something that very often thinkers in coaching and, and poets have in common that they're they're reaching for the edge of stuff and reaching for the, the, the boundaries of what they know how to express. So uh, uh, like Ross, I've found myself using poetry more in my coaching, thinking more about co uh, poetry in my coaching recently. Wow, that's interesting. And what lovely stories we're bringing to the table. And I guess my story with poetry is that um, for several years we had our star. 3D coaching retreat in a place in Cambridgeshire called Little Gidding. And um, I'd heard of T.S. Eliot, the poet, but when we were in Little Gidding, I picked up a book uh, of his poems, one of which is called Little Gidding. And anyone who's been trained by me knows that I think that T.S. Eliot has better descriptions of coaching than any coaching book. Um, and he's got that wonderful line, we shall not cease from exploration. And the end of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. And I love that because we're recording this just at, at the beginning of June. And uh, the whole of that poem is about May. And we were there in May and it looked like he describes in the poem, which is super exciting. So. What's it for? In coaching, poetry. I've got a really polished answer for this, if you want it, Claire. Go on, polish you away. Know, really polished answer. This. I've been, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot for years. So, um, what's so special about it for coaching? Um, I don't, the honest answer is I couldn't tell you precisely, but what I can tell you is that it seems to engage us uh, and convey layered meaning with brevity and elegance. And that takes us beyond the simple meaning of the words. It can touch us deeply in a very few words. And I, my guess is that it's about the rhythm and the structure which enables it to bypass the conscious mind and speak directly to our emotions and our unconscious minds, which is why it can resonate so strongly at a, at a visceral level. So I'll, I'll just pause there. I've got more, but I'll just pause there. I don't want to hog That's... this conversation. In, isn't it interesting? Because it's something to bounce off, I think. And I also think when we offer something, it's not ours. So we're not going, I'm going to make meaning of your thing by saying this. We're saying, can I just offer these words from this great poet, whoever, whoever? And it makes it a quite a clean engagement, doesn't it? Much cleaner than my opinion on this is this. What do other people think? Yeah, that that makes sense to me, Ross. And I've I've heard it described as poetry ghosts past the conscious mind. And actually it's the form of art that most truthfully represents human experience because the breath is written into it, the space, the senses, 
and above all, I think it's the seeking of truth. You know, Keats says that poetry should strike you as the remembrance of your highest thoughts. So it's actually a kind of reunion to truth and self. And I think at a time where there's such scarcity of truth, we're longing for this, the resonance of the felt receiving of, of poetry. You know, it's like a resonant sentence that you feel in yourselves and it's kind of a settling and a coherent. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a canvas for the human experience. Um, I think that people are really longing for. Hmm. That was beautifully framed, you know, a canvas for the human experience and this reunion with truth and self. I absolutely get that. I really do. Oh, fabulous. Sorry, James, go ahead. I'm also scribbling down canvas for the human experience frantically, but I was, um, Ross, you talked, you talked about um, layers of meaning. And as Naomi was talking, I was thinking two things. One was about... Uh, the way that offering poetry allows people to make their own meaning, something there about the quintessence of coaching, because you're offering them words which are often multi-layered or ambiguous, and what they do with them is what they do with them, and that's fine, and it's their stuff, not the coach's stuff. And so, as Claire says, it's much, you know, it's much cleaner. Uh, and the other thing I think is sometimes. Um, doesn't a particularly arresting word or a particularly arresting thing have a have a shock value? Um, so in another bit of my life, I spend a lot of time thinking about theology, and there's a there's a poem by John Donne about the Trinity, which all theologians find really difficult, which starts batter my heart, three persons God, and there's something about the shock value of the way into that which just stops me thinking whatever banality I might have been thinking and makes me think differently and better. So that's about dissonance. It's about creating dissonance, isn't it? Yeah. And that's a poetic technique, isn't it? The volta, the turn, where you offer a space and then a word or, a, or like a dissonance that coaches offer too, right? You know, that that allows a different way of seeing things. So that Volta turn is something that often happens in a conversation as well as a poem, I think. It kind of breaks entrancement. Yeah. I'm just wondering whether reading poetry out loud might be a great way of learning better timing. Yeah, very um, much so. Sorry, go on. <laughs> We're having that pause. I do <laughs> don't you love the pause. But you know, I can remember I'm sure, you know. I don't know what other people thought about poetry at school, but you know, at school you were told to read it and it just didn't it didn't 
scan and it just didn't work because people were just reading the words. And then you hear, I I heard um, the actor Ralph Fiennes perform the whole of T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets live on stage. And my goodness, it was absolutely enthralling because of the timing. But that's when you go, it's all about the pauses. And coaching is all about the pauses, isn't it? Your name, you look like you're going to build. Yeah, it's all about the pauses. And I think um, just when a child is learning to read or when you're listening to music, we know how to fill in the gaps, don't we? So we're, we're leaving space for the filling in that the thinker needs to do. Um, yeah, so so there's that musicality of it. And I was interested in what you were saying, Christina, about your interest in music mm -hmm. and the rhythm of language. Actually doing some uh, preparation for today's uh, uh, conversation, I realized that, uh, so I'm quite at the beginning of my coaching career, uh, one year into, the, uh, into my freelancing business. Uh, and sometimes I'm very focused on the technicality, which can uh, drain the poetry out of the yeah. out of the conversation. Um, and I realize that sometimes there are some coaching sessions where something happens. I cannot explain it. Things just fall into place, and I think that that are the moments where without rhyme necessarily we just write poetry between ourselves the thinker and myself mm -hmm. so when we are focused on what we're creating together and let it get flow um, i think that is when i have been closest to to poetry and uh um, it can be quite a noble objective <laughs> into turning, you know, my my coaching uh, conversations or sessions into into that. Mm. I think that's such a great metaphor for coaching. It, it's when it flows and it doesn't have to rhyme. I love that. And. Also, just what you pointed uh, earlier, Claire, on school, learning poems in school, there was always these questions uh, we had, what did the poem want to say or what did the po poet uh, uh, mean? Uh, and we always had, you know, from the teacher something telling us what to think about a certain poem. And it's like, you know, maybe a coaching sessions when people talk about what happened in there, or when you have several clients, uh, it can be the same poem, but it can mean different things for the reader, so to say, mm. or the thinker. Mm. Um, so it has so many other uh, meanings rather than just 
specific words you read. Yeah. And when you're saying that, sorry, go ahead, James. I was just reflecting on the, the, the point about it doesn't have to rhyme. Um, I um, ended up book browsing recently because um, the trains were all delayed and ended up with uh, a book called Super Infinite by a lady called Catherine Rundell, which is a, so it's um, become a bestseller, but it's a, it's a biography of John Donne. And one of the things that she talks about is uh his language was so extraordinary and so jagged and his rhyme rhyme schemes and his meter was so weird that other people uh who were poets of the day used to write parodies of his stuff and smooth it out to make it more socially acceptable and i sat on the train reading that biography and just thought how often do people come to coaching to say the things that are too jagged and too weird and too out of shape to fit into the rest of the conversations they have um and so not only does it have to not have to rhyme it can be any shape it likes um yeah and that makes me think about when you write a first draft as a poet, it should be wild and crazy and playful. Um, and what a lovely permission <laughs> to offer someone to come and do some drafting with you um, in their thinking. And, and going back to when you were saying, Christina, you know about the there's another line from Little Gidding, isn't there, Claire, that you know when the two people kind of at the centre of the universe <laughs> and things happen which you could never predict. And there's something else I like, which is no surprise for the writer, no surprise for the reader. So as a poet, expect to be surprised. Like you may have the first line, but the last line, you'll, you, you've got no idea what's coming through you. And I think... That reminds me of what you're saying, Christina, that, you know, as a coach, if you're in it with someone, then there's that thrill, isn't there, of letting go for something else to sort of come through. And that, that stretches the metaphor a little bit further. Right? It's not just a great metaphor for how a coaching session is. It's the sense that you're writing the poem together what you just sparked there in my thought, Mamie, which is a lovely, lovely thought. It really pushes the metaphor, really riches it. Thank you. So, Lisa, I'm very interested to know what you're thinking. Thanks for asking, Claire. I, um, I'm really enjoying the richness of just hearing the conversation, but um in in response to the the original question i'm thinking much more um i don't know i guess basic <laughs> um and and that is i'm thinking about any of the words in a coaching session but particularly the words of poetry as an invitation 
to uh, a different perspective. And that connects so beautifully with the idea of, of, of the question as an offer. One of the things that we're talking about in our book that's coming out in the autumn is, is the difference between a question that sounds like a statement and a question that sounds like an offer. So even if our intention is that we're offering an invitation, if it sounds like a statement, it kind of ends the conversation because it's like a full stop. And then somebody has to start a new stanza. Whereas actually a much easier flow in thinking and processing is to be able to complete the, the, the sentence. And that makes me think as a writer, you know, the worst thing about being a writer is that you finish a chapter and then you spend the next three weeks going, well, now what am I going to write? <laughs> Whereas when you're in flow, in the middle of a chapter, you know, I used to, can't tell you how well I'm sleeping now I'm not writing for a bit because I'm not waking up in the middle of the night with a better sentence I'm not building in the middle of the night on what I was thinking during the day and I'm it's nice having a bit of a season of sleep it's also nice having a season of not sleep actually because of the creativity behind it but 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 that invitation Lisa that just that just invites somebody to stay in flow is so different from those questions that as a mentor I hear people doing when when the when the questions come out staccato and there doesn't seem to be a flow or a connection between what's coming across. Yeah, I mean, at, at the risk of mixing metaphors here. Please um, do. I, <laughs> I feel like, you know, um, it's always the, option of the of the client or the coachy to not hit the ball back but as the coach I I want to I want to volley a ball that's um, possible to lob back and I think that's about trust and I've heard people talk about poetry as very trustworthy because it's never judgmental it only seeks to make offers and have a full understanding and circumambulation of something. So we trust in poetry because it does, it never judges. It's never giving answers. And there's kind of a link to the coach that that's what we aspire to. Not easy, <laughs> but we aspire to that. Like you said, there Lisa so beautifully you know you're just making offers and it's up to the recipient to make any sense or discard or build yeah. on it that gentle provocation or in James in that junk the the Dunn poem that you were talking about that dramatic provocation Well, the care too. So um, I'm thinking back there to the day that you ran a couple of years ago now on improvisation, where we were making offers in improv to someone we never worked with before. And the sense of sort of tenderness with which one puts something out there or picks something up. Um, 
is from you know is familiar to me from my writing that thing you know your thing about trying to craft the right sentence trying to put the right word in the right place with to mm. Naomi's point the right space around it mm. um you know so much of that speaks to me about presence and staying out of the way and of course, in improv, one of the principles is about making your partner look good. And that builds on what you said, Naomi, about about poetry being being a thing for good for the other person to pick up. I've taken my sort of a thesis a stage further, Claire. I'm, I was able to articulate nine different coaching purposes of using poetry would it be appropriate to share those briefly now yeah i do yeah i can just whiz through so i i think what coaches uh, can gain from the use of a, a coach using poetry in, in an authentic in a spontaneous way is that it can help them to connect to others experience it, they can gain insights into their own experience it helps them to be present to their own emotions and to go deeper into themselves it can reframe their experience. One that's already been mentioned, we, coaches can gain fresh perspectives. It provokes new ways of thinking about themselves and their situation. It helps to evoke their uniqueness. It equips them emotionally and spiritually for the stage of the journey they're on. And one thing I've only realised recently, number nine, is it sometimes helps them to realise that they're not alone in going through whatever they're going through, that somebody else has been through something similar and has shared about it in poetry. And that and that sense of not being the only person's other experiences can be quite helpful as well. Interesting. Thank you. I'm sure there are more. Those are the only ones I've come up with so far. Yeah, I'm struck by the what you said about emotions and emotional world and spiritual world and you know William Blake saying that the deeper the sorrow the deeper the joy and I think poets do not turn away from grief and what devastates you know and I, I came to poetry really quite strongly through grief you know and that the poets have that courage to really name and honour and reflect your experience is um such solace when you know most of us are quite ill-equipped <laughs> to be in the presence of strong feeling so i think yeah absolutely if someone's in a place of spiritual or emotional need that's a wonderful gift isn't it to just offer well, that's and, fascinating um, to me because it was through grief that I first started writing poetry about five, six years yeah. ago. And I've since learned that grief is a great spark to creativity. And obviously those those of us that are leaning towards the words will write, whether that's prose or poetry. Some people may um, direct that into art or some other creative way. It doesn't just have to be about the words, but, you know, our medium as coaches is often the words. So I'm, I'm a wordy person. But it's interesting yeah. how we've both been touched by grief as a route into poetry. Interesting. Mm. I get it. I really get it. 
Yeah, and, and, it, I, and I think it's go on, Naomi. Just to just to one more thing on that, which I think is really wonderful for our coaches and for us as human beings, is just that act of making the subject object. So instead of that having me or having the coachee, if I can put expression around this and then be in relationship to it, then it becomes a kind of handhold. Um, which again, I think is another thing that poetry does, you know, handholds for life, you know, and they reach us at different times in our experience. Like I was an English teacher, so I taught GCSE poetry for 15 years. And there was a poem by Derek Walcott, Walcott called Love After Love. I don't know if you know it. Made no sense to me <laughs> in my late 20s. But now it's, you know, incredible. So I think, you know, when we read poetry, it's almost worth putting those notes in the margins of when we come back to them. Now, what does it mean? Now, what does it mean in this season? Um, yeah. I was thinking about it provides a deeper, safer held space that gives us a bit of courage to go a little bit further into the darkness, I think, because it because it feels held. Um, I read a really beautiful book by a guy called Richard Raw called Falling Upward, Spirituality in the Second Half of Life, I think it's called. Um, a Spirituality for the Two Halves of Life. But there's a bit in the middle of that book, which isn't poetry, but in the middle there's a line that says something like, not everybody who's got to this point of the book is going to understand it. And that was at the point in my first reading that I abandoned. Because I thought, I don't understand this. It's not making any meaning for me at all. And then having gone through broken bits much more deeply, I go back to the book. And that's the bit that instead of me walking away, it's the bit that absolutely captivates me to stay with it. Because suddenly I feel held because once I'd fallen, o really fallen over, then the book made complete sense. Well, no, the book made, allowed me to make my own personal sense of it, which is, of course, what poetry does, isn't it? So I'm curious, without breaking copyright laws, what, um, sorry, listeners, you're going to have to go on the internet, search these poems out. I'm curious what poems you really like that make some really good, deep connections for you in coaching. I, I can offer the first poem which ever really grabbed me as a coach. And I, it's just one of those chance encounters that I picked up by chance a book of Rumi's poems, maybe about 12, 13 years ago, in a completely incongruous context. I just thought, just flicked through it. I thought, oh, there's something in here. I'm not into poetry at all, but yeah, I might just hang on to that. And then years later, I was flicking through it, and there's a very, he writes these amazingly short poems that really grab you. And the, I think it's only about five lines, but the last line, I mean, he talks about somebody who's going uh, crazy, not trying to find the answer, and it can't, the door never opens and so on. Anyway, finally, it opens and he realises he's been knocking from the inside. So he's trying to get out rather than trying to get in. You know, I mean, it's just such a fantastic reframe. I thought, wow, in five lines, he smashed it out of the park for a reframe. That's that's how to do this stuff. 
that's 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 going in the in my collection of amazing poems to share in the moment and i've got a long a long collection of those that i'm continuously adding to but yeah that's a belter Rumi is to own the meaning sorry lisa no 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 i was just thinking that Rumi, you know is certainly one that um says things or offers things in a way that can stop us in our contemporary lifestyle tracks. <laughs> um, I have followed a contemporary poet uh, who is um, say half, half Yorkshire, half Irish, currently living in the United States by the name of David White. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think part of what's lovely about what he writes is what he writes. And the other part is how he says it. Um, so um, there's, there's lots of different ways to experience what he has to offer, but um, are we actually allowed to say a piece of the, of the, uh, you can here, say or? two lines. Okay. <laughs> May I go ahead and do that with, with yeah. one in particular? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it's funny because this, this piece that I love so much is to me kind of, I mean, I guess you could look at it as an instruction, but as I mentioned that, you know, invitation is, is where it's at. He has a piece that starts, dart close in. Don't take the second step or the third. Start with the first thing close in the step that you don't want to take. That's from his piece called Start Close In. That's David White. Wow. I have um, a signed copy of his poems, Pilgrim. You do too? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. But that, it, yeah, it's, it's the making. Yeah, it's the opportunity to do all sorts of things because as you were saying that that's about courage isn't it and that was partly about the timing with which you read it are you coming to take a bit of courage in this poem or are you not yes and and to the point that several have said in the room already depending upon who's hearing it and how it is read and who's saying it, you'll hear it differently. When he speaks it, I've heard him speak this dozens of times. And sometimes he speaks it in a way that goes right through me. It stops me in my tracks and it's like a demand, you know, and other times it's just a gentle little string of an invitation. and. Yeah, it really does, I guess, not only depend on the person who's speaking it and how they're speaking it and perhaps the way in which they're offering it, but on where the listener is in any given moment. Yeah. So... Moving on from our David White fun moment. <laughs> I'm, a big fan of, I'm a big fan of Louise Gluck. 
who is um, a lyric poet. And the lyric is when you start with something concrete. You know, Ezra Pound said, go in fear of abstractions. And I think for us as coaches to start with the person <laughs> and then this movement back and forth is how the poetic sensibility works as well. It's the external world reflected in the internal. And then through that meeting, there tends to be a revelation, which is known as the lyric wound. So through that poetic process, something is revealed. Um, and there's a poem she's written called The Wild Iris. Not for the faint hearted, <laughs> but for me, it speaks of recovery and creativity and hope. Um, and she has an anthology called Wild Iris, which I recommend. Wow, thank you. Christina, what's yours? Well, um, so I, I I listen to quite a lot of, of music and I uh, uh, remember rhymes all the time. And uh, funnily or not, uh, I ended up reading a poem of Tupac Shakur. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's called In the Depths of Solitude. Um, I exist in the depths of solitude, pondering my true goal. Mm. Um, and this helped me focus more on what's coaching about, because maybe at the beginning you focus a lot on self-performers, you know, being a good coach for the thinker whereas in front of me there's always a whole universe of a person who's trying to figure out their own goals existence being you know a small objective or not mm -hmm. but it's like uh, you know handle with care doesn't matter how you're performing just handle with care that's my my piece thank you ross Further to Rumi, um, I'd recommend Victoria Erickson. She's written quite a few books of poems. I, um, I don't think they're even titled, actually. I can't remember. And she doesn't title any of her poems, but um, one one of them is, again, it's only five or six lines, and it, I, I, I can barely read it without being reduced to tears. And it, it talks about... I'm trying hard not to quote it here, because, but the words are in my mind. It's so ingrained. It's about when we are with someone and they're in their darkness. And all we have to do is just be a friend and sit with them. Wow. And, and we make the darkness beautiful. And that, that just dissolves me. Because I, when I read that, this is what we, I think it was Naomi said it earlier on, we, we recognise, what was the phrase? Um, yeah, the it's a route to truth in the self and i recognize the truth of, of myself in that line that when i'm coaching people who are affected by trauma that's what i do 
and it it's just a beautiful thing and it, it absolutely blows me away mm. so yeah victoria erickson thank you really emotional stuff mm. really I'll, I'll make a list in the show notes <laughs> and i've heard that called a portable ritual you know if you have your line of poetry that you just carry with you kind of mm. as a resource you know i think we've all shared them that yeah, I've, got, I've got quite a few. Yeah. <laughs> they're all they're in there. What about you, James? Um. So the, there's a poem by uh, Mary Oliver, which is now pretty well known. It's called "The Summer Day," and the whole poem, I think, is about um, attention and quality of attention. Uh, but but it culminates with um, two lines which are, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? And I love it in a coaching context because um, for so many of the people that I have the privilege of coaching, that's quite a lot of what they bring, you know, under 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 whatever it is that we're talking about is this deeper question what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life and I also love it because the assumption is that that person is so capable and so resourceful that they have this wild and precious life that the world is at their feet and so for me it speaks quite powerfully of the uh, of, of the regard that we give the thinkers that we work with that the starting point is that they're brilliant and resourceful and can do great stuff And as you say that, it makes me think how much more powerful it is when it wasn't you that said that. Not that there isn't power in your in what you say, of course, but 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 when you're reading it from a third person, it's it it hasn't got the agenda that it has when it comes from us. Or the yeah. I think we're going to be returning to poetry at the coaching inn, because I I think we could stay all evening and longer um, having these this this amazing conversation and probably offline. We'd have to have another one where we share the whole thing <laughs> without copyright restrictions. Thank you so much um, for all you've brought to the coach again. I will put um, those poems in the show notes and contact details uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with any of our great guests today so thank you very much Lisa Di Matteo, Naomi Ward, Ross Nichols, Christina Matte and James Allport for coming to the coaching inn. Bye-bye everyone. Thanks Claire, thanks, thanks everyone. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today we'd love you to share the podcast with a friend or leave a comment on social media and if you'd like to become a regular at the coaching inn you can subscribe on Podbean and all major podcast channels. We look forward to welcoming you next time. You've been listening to The Coaching In, 3D Coaching's virtual pub. For more information, check out 3dcoaching.com.